Galatians 2, verses 1 through 10. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for, the, for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Amen. Thus ends the reading of God's Word. Let's ask God to help us. Think about these verses rightly. Father, uh, we pray you would be with us. We don't only want to think about these rightly. We want to feel about them rightly. We want to be moved uh, 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 by this good news, this gospel of, of Jesus. And Father, we ask that you would have your way with us this morning, that you would instruct us, that you would rebuke us, that you would challenge us. Lord, we, we pray, uh, as one brother has said, that, that everything a sermon should do would be done, that you would instruct our, our minds with the, your uh, will, that you would uh, w- move our, our will to action, that you would warm our hearts and affection for you, and that you would tan our hide uh, in wherever we need to be convicted of sin, that we might be more holy. And so, God, do that, we pray, for the glory of your Son. And we pray in His name, in Jesus' name, Amen. There was a great crisis in the church of Galatia, to whom this letter was was written. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, was being compromised. And Paul is writing this church to warn them, instruct them, and call them back to faithfulness to the doctrine, the truth, that justification is by faith alone. What is justification? Justification is uh, an act of God in which He forgives all of our sins and counts the righteousness of Jesus Christ to us because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and we receive justification by faith alone. We cannot work for it. We cannot earn it. Uh, we, we cannot do anything to, to be uh, declared right with God. 
by uh, giving money, by coming to church, by reading our Bible, by teaching Sunday school, by being a pastor. We cannot earn this justification. It is a free gift of God. Why do we need to be justified? Because we, uh, uh, outside of Christ, apart from His redemption, are in big trouble with God. All people, men, women, boys and girls, the Bible teaches, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have broken God's laws. We've broken God's commandments. We have failed to love God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength. We've failed to love our neighbor as ourselves. We have, uh, uh, we, 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 we lie, we cheat, we steal, uh, we, 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 we look at one another with lust, which Jesus calls adultery. We lose our temper and get angry, and that's murder in God's sight. Uh, we commit sexual morality, uh, uh, and we do these things because we have bad hearts. Sinners outside of Jesus, we have bad hearts. Uh, and because we have sinned against God... God is a good God. God is a holy God. God is a righteous God. And God is angry about our sin. Friend, if you're here this morning and you have not trusted in Jesus, you have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Bible teaches that God's wrath abides upon you, that God is angry with you. This God that Brother Howard read about from, from Nahum, who, who, who fills indignation and fury, and, and, and whose footsteps are, are the clouds, are, are the dust of His feet, this mighty, powerful, all-glorious God, He is against you. If you are in your sins outside of Jesus Christ. And He will crush you someday. He will crush you. He will send you to hell forever. Where Jesus said there would be weeping and burning and gnashing of teeth. And friends, that's why we need justification. That's why we need reconciliation. We need to be justified. We need to be forgiven of all our sins. We need the wrath of God turned away from us. We need to be counted righteous in Christ. And that's the gospel. Jesus has, has done what needed to be done that we could be justified. He has come. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He never lusted. He never told a lie. He never did anything that was unrighteous. Always loved perfectly. And He, the only one who's worthy, gave His life on that cross to die and bear the wrath that we deserve. He was buried and rose from the dead on the third day. And, and if you believe on Him, you can be saved. You can be forgiven, you can be justified, you can be counted righteous in Christ. And so this justification is by grace alone. It's a free gift, you can't earn it. Through faith alone, you can simply receive, believe, believe on Him. In Christ alone, according to God's revealed Word alone, for the glory of God alone. Paul continues to defend the God-given nature of this gospel of justification by faith alone. The truthfulness of His gospel is what He is defending here by giving us more of His autobiography. Remember that in the church in Galatia, false teachers claimed that His gospel was not right, that it was not from God, and Paul is laboring here to show us that yes, this is the true gospel, this is God's gospel, and these are false teachers. Last time, when we were in Galatians, we were in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and we saw that Paul was proving that he received the true gospel of Jesus Christ independent of anyone else. 
Paul went to Jerusalem, and while he was there, it was confirmed that his gospel and the gospel of the other apostles was the same gospel. They were in agreement. And Paul continues in verses 6 through 10 to explain to us the independence of his gospel, the truthfulness of his gospel. And so point number one from verse 6. Paul received the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ independently of the influential apostles. Look at verse 6 again. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seem to be influential added nothing to me. Those who seemed influential... Who is Paul talking about here? Well, we know from verse 9, he is referring to James and Cephas. Cephas is, is another name for Peter. Cephas is the Aramaic form uh, of, of Peter's name. Uh, Peter is, would be the Greek form. So James, Cephas, or Peter, and John. These are the ones who seem to be influential. And Paul is sort of walking a tightrope here. They are influential, but Paul speaks in such a way in these verses not to give them uh, 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 more of of, uh, an honor than they should have. Because he's laboring to show that he didn't get this from men. He got his gospel from God. But those who seemed to be influential, and they were influential. These apostles had lived with Jesus. So two of them, uh, Peter and John, they were in Jesus' inner circle of, of the three, Peter, James, and John, which is a different James. James in Peter, James, and John, spoken of throughout the Gospels, is John's brother. This James uh, that Paul's referring to in Galatians is the brother of Jesus. So so James is influential because he grew up with Jesus. He knew Jesus in a very intimate way. He is the brother of Jesus Christ. And then Peter and John were with Jesus uh, and called into fellowship and service with Jesus in a special way. When Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, he only took John and Peter with him. And also John's brother James. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, He took Peter, James, and John up with Him. When Jesus was praying in Gethsemane, He took Peter, James, and John to be with Him. And so James, because he is the Lord's brother, uh, and uh, Peter and John, they had been with Jesus, lived with Jesus, ministered with Jesus, and, and, and for that reason, they are seen as influential and even pillars uh, in the church. But notice what Paul says about them. What they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. And so often uh, we have to remember this as human beings. What, what impresses people does not impress God. And so we get so impressed with people who do this and do that and have this large thing and have this big influence and they do this and they do that and we get so awed by people. But God is not impressed. God God is not impressed with the big crowds. God God is not impressed with, with, with what men and women and boys and girls are so impressed with. God does not look on the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And Paul is making that clear here. 
That what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. God isn't impressed with what men are impressed with. Outer appearance, popularity, large influence. And no man has the final say in what the truth of the gospel is. Remember what Paul wrote in Galatians 1, 8-9? But even if we, so he includes himself in this, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. You see, it doesn't matter what their credentials are. It doesn't matter what they've been in the past or what they've done. If they don't get the gospel right, let them be accursed. Is what Paul says. And he includes himself, the apostle, Paul himself. If I come to you with another gospel than the one you have received, then let me be accursed. Let me be sent to hell. Is what that means. Dr. Schreiner in his commentary on this portion of Galatians says, Paul did not reject the apostolic authority of the pillars, but he rejected an excessive veneration or honoring of them. One should not become preoccupied with the pillars because God is not partial to any person, nor is He impressed with the reputation of anyone. He recognizes their leadership and respects the position God has given them. On the other hand, He also recognizes their fallibility, hence final authority is located in the gospel rather than in any human being. We must hold fast to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, those I say who seemed influential added nothing to me. And this is the good news that, that, that the, the gospel that Paul had been preaching for this over a decade was the same gospel of the apostles in Jerusalem. They added nothing to Paul. They added nothing to his gospel that Paul preached. They were in agreement. It was justification by faith alone. You can't add circumcision to it. Which is what these Judaizers were doing. You must be circumcised in order to be saved. You must do these Jewish rituals in order to be saved. You must add something, Christ plus something, in order to be justified. And that is a false gospel. Paul came with the gospel of Acts 16.31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. The justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Bible alone, for the glory of God alone. That was the gospel of the Apostle Paul, and that is the gospel of the apostles in Jerusalem. They were in agreement, and and, and therefore they added nothing to what Paul was preaching. Often we have this right in our minds. I hope we do. I hope we have this right in our minds. If you would go talk to people right on the street, they don't have it right in their minds. When you ask the question, if you die tonight, you, you answer. Don't, not out loud, but in your mind. If you were asked this question, if you died tonight and you stood before God and He said, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? What would you say before God? If He asked you that question, why should God let you into heaven? Let me give you a bunch of wrong answers that send to hell. I'm a good person. I go to church. I teach Sunday school. I love God. 
I, 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 I've been doing this for 50 years. I'm a preacher. I've won people for Christ. I've done this. I've done that. I've lived a moral life. I've never slept around. I've never done drugs or chewed or gone with girls that do. I, I, I. All the answers that start with I lead to hell. What's the right answer? Friends, all the time on the street, I get the eyes. I've done this. I've done that. Friend, the, the answer is, I deserve hell. <laughs> that's, 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 the, that's the answer. I deserve hell for my sin. That's all I deserve. But God loves sinners. And He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world who never sinned. And He died on that cross where He bore the wrath of God and He was buried in a tomb and He was raised on the third day. And I believed on Him and He is my only hope to go to heaven. Friends, that's the answer. That's the answer. That, that is the, the, the answer that we must not only know and be able to articulate, but, but, but believe and be resting in alone. Christ alone, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and I've trusted Him by faith. That's our only hope. And friend, believe me, if you trust in Him alone, then you will start doing a lot of those things. <laughs> you will come to church. You will love the Bible and read the Bible. You will love one another. You will serve. You will give. You will tell people about Jesus. You will be busy about the business of the Lord. But that's not why you're justified. You're justified by faith alone in Christ alone. And so we ought to know that. We, we, we might have the right doctrine in our minds and yet have hearts far from Christ. We can even know that right answer. We can know the right answer to the gospel question and, 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 and our hearts be far from God. And we add things to Christ that we think we need to make us happy. Tim Keller is so good at uh, searching our hearts uh, about whether we're really truly resting in the gospel alone. And in his sermon on this passage, he quotes a lady named Sue Lutz at a women's retreat who said this, With our mouths, we say Christ alone is what makes me acceptable. But in our hearts, we add Christ and financial freedom. Christ and the approval of my parents. Christ and the respect and or happiness of my children. Christ and the acceptance of a peer group. Christ and something. I mean, what is it for you that I need Christ and this to make me happy? Christ and a relationship. Christ and a husband. Christ and a wife. Christ and children. Christ and more money. Christ and a better job. Christ and success. Christ and fame. Christ and this ministry. Something we add to Christ to really make us happy. Really give us purpose. Christ in something. But listen to this. She goes on. But anything you add to Jesus Christ as a requirement for being happy will become a slave master that will strangle you, that will drive you into the ground, and that will hang you by the neck until dead. Anything you add to Jesus Christ as a requirement for being happy will become a slave master that will strangle you, that will drive you into the ground, and that will hang you by the neck until dead. Why? Because you have to have it. You have to have it. You're in bondage. You're a slave. And so, friends, we can rejoice in the doctrine of justification by faith alone and believe it. 
But we ought to be praying that more and more this, this doctrine would seep into our minds and hearts and have an effect on our lives so that we can truly say, Christ is enough. Christ is enough. Christ is all I need. Amen. Well, these influential apostles affirmed Paul's gospel and gave him the right hand of fellowship. Look at verses 7 through 9. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. And so again, they, the influential apostles, they saw the gospel had been entrusted to Paul. Again, they, they, they were in agreement on what the gospel was, the truth of the gospel. And they had noticed that God, Paul had been entrusted with this. God had called Paul to go and preach this gospel. Paul was particularly tasked with taking the gospel to the uncircumcised, the Gentiles. And Peter was particularly tasked with taking the gospel to the circumcised. Now, that, that does not mean uh, that uh, Paul never preached to the Jews, because he did. Everywhere he went in the Gentile world, he would often first go to the synagogue and preach the gospel to uh, Jews. God's chosen people. To the Jew first, then to the Gentile, he wrote in Romans. And so he, he does uh, preach to the Jews as well, but his particular ministry, his particular calling was to go to the Gentiles, just as Peter's particular calling was to go to the Jews. And yet Peter also shared the gospel with the Gentiles, but God had given them particular ministries. I mean, this is good for us to note. God has given people in the church particular callings. To particular people. And we should trust God about that. And not look down on one another or judge one another. Because you're not doing enough here and you're not doing enough there and you should be involved in this and you should be involved in this. God has given us all different ministries to different kinds of people, different places. And God has done that with Paul and Peter. We know, we know from his, the very beginning of Paul's call, he was called to the Gentiles. Remember when Paul was converted... And, and God called Ananias to go and lay hands on Paul that he might receive his sight. And Ananias in Acts chapter 9 is like, whoa, I've heard about this guy. He, he, he's, he, 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 he persecutes your people. He persecutes the church. Are you sure about this? Do you have the right guy? And, and God is, yes, I have the right guy. Go. Acts 9.15, the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And so he was called to take the gospel, particularly to the Gentiles. Notice that God worked through Peter and Paul. Verse 8, For he, referring to God, who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. God is at work in these men. God is the one at work empowering them, strengthening them, guiding them. In their ministry. Paul wrote in Colossians 1.29. For this I toil. 
I labor, I work, I strive. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. So Paul labored, he worked, he poured himself out for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ, through God's power working in him. And we need that. We need God to be working in us. And friends, God works that way through all of his people. Through all of his people. To accomplish his purposes. Ephesians 3.20, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. God works through us. To share the gospel with others just like he did in Paul and Peter. Friends, do you realize that's, that's uh, uh, a major reason for your existence as a Christian? Is that God's power would work through you and in you to minister to others and tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ought to pray, God, please work through us. Lord, please work through me this week. Lord, this is a a religious time of year. And and people are thinking, uh, secular radio even is playing songs about uh, my Jesus. Lord, please work through me during this time and, and in all of my life to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you pray like that? I would encourage you to pray that way. Lord, work through me powerfully, just like you did through Peter and just like you did through Paul. Work through me to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray you would do that in Omni Baptist Church for Jesus' sake. James, Cephas, Peter, and John were pillars. These pillars are who... Uh, Paul is, is consulting with, talking with, meeting with, and they are pillars. They are the foundation of the church. Ephesians 2, 19-20 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. And so Paul is... A meeting and consulting with and uh, being approved by these pillars, these apostles who are the foundation of the church. And these pillars perceive that God's grace had been given to Paul. Notice that in the text. When James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they saw grace in Paul's life. Friend, if you meet Jesus, you know Jesus, you trust Jesus, you follow Jesus, you're about Jesus' business, that grace will be evident in your life. It will be evident to those around you that you know Him. There's a change. We were talking about that this morning in Sunday school. When you meet Him, there's a change in your life and that grace is evident. Grace was evident to these apostles through Paul's life, through his message. He had the right message. He was sharing the true, biblical, right gospel of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. It was evident through his life, his desire to share the gospel with sinners, his faithfulness, his holiness. His way of life, it was all evident, the grace of God. And it should be evident. 
in our lives as well as, as, as believers. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15.10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Grace. The free gift of God. The free mercy of God. The, the free gifting. Grace. He said, I am what I am by the grace of God and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. He said, I work hard. So, Paul's not a let go and let God kind of guy. He's, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to strive. I'm going to labor. I'm not going to be lazy. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to strive to work hard. I'm going to discipline my body to work hard. I'm not just going to wait until God, you know, animates me. I'm going to work. And yet, it's not me. When it happens, it's the grace of God working in me. God is at work. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. And, and this was evident to the apostles, these pillars and, and therefore, therefore, because Paul was preaching the right gospel, because Paul's life was transformed, because he was loving and laboring and ministering the true gospel, he and Barnabas, who was also laboring with him, received the right hand of fellowship by these pillars, that they should go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. The right hand of fellowship. So often when we hear the word fellowship, we think we're going to have fellowship, we're going to go have a meal together, we're going to go have some coffee, and we're going to hang out. That's fellowship. That, that is not the way the Bible uh, uses the word fellowship. Fellowship is, is more like partnership. We, we have a task. We have a goal. We, 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 we have people we need to go reach for Jesus, and so we're going to partner together in the gospel to go reach those people. It's more like a uh, going into business together, partnership, a business partnership, than sitting down for tea and crumpets. And, and we've made it sitting down for tea and crumpets. Uh, but, but fellowship in the New Testament sense of the word is a partnership in the gospel to go and reach the lost for the glory of Jesus. And they receive this right hand of fellowship, this partnership, like a band of brothers going to war for Christ, to win the spoils, His elect for whom He died. And so they receive this right hand of fellowship. Beloved, all of our partnerships for gospel ministry must agree on the gospel. There would be no partnership with uh, Paul and the apostles if they did not agree on the gospel. This is the most basic. <laughs> what it means to be a Christian, the essence of what it means to be a Christian, we must agree on this to have partnership. We must agree on what the gospel is, on what a Christian is, on what justification by faith alone is to have this kind of gospel partnership with anyone or any church. And, and if we have that agreement, we have far and wide partnerships. And so I have brothers who preach in Presbyterian churches. The, the Presbyterian churches who adhere to the Bible and the gospel. And we have differences of baptism. They baptize infants and we don't. But we have, I have partnership with those brothers in the gospel. We have partnerships with people across denominational lines if they hold to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But friends, that is central. We must have that agreement. 
Phil Riken in his commentary on this passage says, We can belong to various church denominations. We can engage in various means of outreach. We can take diverse approaches to evangelism. We can allow space for different styles of music according to the cultural context. We not only may allow for these differences, but we rejoice in them provided that we all are preaching the same gospel. That has to be there for gospel partnership. And that was there between these influential apostles and between Paul and Barnabas. And so they received this fellowship, this partnership, and they were sent out with this gospel message. And finally, we see they ask one more thing. In verse 10, the influential apostles ask them to remember the poor. Galatians 1.10, only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. God has a passion for the poor. God has a passion for the poor. You, you see it throughout the, the Old Testament when, when uh, God talks about taking a stand for the oppressed and for those who have no voice and standing up for the, the poor. You see it in the New Testament in James chapter 2, verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which He has promised to those who love Him? And so along with with preaching the the true and faithful, biblical, God-given gospel, Paul is asked, remember the poor. Remember the poor. And Paul is eager to remember the poor. Paul, because he's been transformed by grace, he's already loving the poor. God lives in him. God has a passion for the poor. Therefore, he has a passion for the poor. Romans 15, 25 and 26. Paul wrote, At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. 2 Corinthians 8, 1-4 We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And so Paul is eager to, to, to labor and help and assist in getting aid to the saints who are poor. He's eager to remember the poor. Martin Luther said that next to the proclamation of the gospel, it is the task of a good pastor to be mindful of the poor. Next to the proclamation of the gospel, it is the pastor's task to be mindful of the poor. Friends, why do you think we get bread and food and give it away every Tuesday? Nine o'clock right here. You're poor. You're poor. You know someone who's poor. Tell them we give away food right out here at this corner every uh, Tuesday at 9 a.m. And we pray that the real poor would come. The real poor. Sometimes I joke with people. They drive up in a Cadillac. I'm saying, I'm sorry, sir. We don't give food to people who drive Cadillacs. We pray. Pray with me that God would send the real poor to us. On Tuesdays at 9 o'clock and Fridays at 9 o'clock at uh, Park and Tabor. We want to love the poor. We want to care for the poor of our community and neighborhood.
hood and yet, and benevolence, don't forget benevolence. Every first Sunday we take a benevolence offering to help with the poor and needy in our congregation and in the neighborhood. We do that because of scriptures like this. Remember the poor. And yet we don't just want to give them food. Friends, this is why partnership in the gospel is so important. What does it profit a man? To have all the food in the world and die and go to hell. What does it profit to save all the babies from abortion in Philadelphia if they're taught a false gospel and grow up and die and go to hell? What does it profit to free all the slaves? There's like 45 million people still enslaved around the world. What does it profit to set them all free and give them a false gospel and they go to hell forever? What good is that? Helping people out for a temporary hundred years and then sending them into eternal damnation? Partnership in the gospel. Friends, we, when we give out food, we have gospel tracts. We're trying to give them the gospel too. We're trying to have these conversations. Can I ask you a question, sir? If you died tonight and you stood before God, what would you say as to why He should let you into heaven? We're asking people, giving the gospel, trying to talk to people, praying, Lord, help us share the gospel too. Every ministry of the church should be a gospel ministry. Even mercy ministry, like food giveaway. We, as one pastor has said, want to care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. Especially eternal suffering. Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And so we want to be mindful of that when we seek to love and help the poor. And we want to do so with wisdom. We want to help the poor with wisdom. I don't give out cash. I don't give out cash. And I'll tell you why. Because someone comes to me recently and says, I need money. I need this money for a doctor's appointment. I need this. And so I say, well, I'll take you to the doctor and pay the doctor myself. Oh, no. No, no, no. No, I just need the money. Well, I'll take you to the doctor and pay them right now. Well, no, 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 no. I just need this. Uh, No, no, no. I'll just take you. Well, I'm sorry. And and even with tears and crying and, and there's the sobs, I'm sorry. I'll go right now and take you. And lo and behold, a week later, I find out why they really wanted the money. For their drug habit. So friend, we need to be wise. We need to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. When we help. There's a great book out called When Helping Hurts. It's a great book, When Helping Hurts. And it talks about how we think we're helping people and we're actually hurting them. By just give away, give away, give away. We have to be wise. And to really help the poor, it would be easy, right, to give money. But it's also often more inconvenient. I'll go with you and do this. We have to be wise. And we want to remember the poor uh, as Paul is instructed. Praise God, beloved. Praise God, beloved, uh, that uh, we have a Savior. We have a Savior uh, from uh, our sins. We have a Savior from uh, dabbling in false gospels. We have a Savior uh, from our failure to love and remember the poor. I, oh, I, oh I've, done, I've done some wicked things to the poor. 
I, when I was in the Navy, I remember, oh, I need a Savior. I need a Savior. I need a Redeemer. I need someone who died on the cross for my sins and my wickedness and my evil. And praise God, Jesus Christ became poor for us. Praise God that Jesus Christ became poor for us. He became poor and was not remembered. Huh? This text says, remember the poor? Jesus became poor. The poorest of the poor. The poorest man who ever lived was Jesus Christ. And He was not remembered. He was not remembered by His closest friends. They all forsook Him. Denied Him with swearing and cursing. This pillar, these pillars, Peter, right? One of them denied His Lord and forgot Him with cursing and swearing. I don't know the man. Betrayed by Judas. Forsaken by all the apostles. And hung up to die on a cross. All his close companions fled. John was there, praise God. Mary was there. But he was forgotten. He was by and large forgotten. And he was forgotten on the cross and cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he died. He died for people who ought to be forgotten. I ought to be forgotten by God. By my actions, my my sin, my selfishness, my pride. God ought to forget Joseph Randall. And yet the only one who never deserved to be forgotten, he was forgotten in my place. Took upon himself the wrath of Almighty God. Buried and raised from the dead. That God would remember me. That God would remember you, beloved. Friends, this, this is the good news. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was rich in, in the fellowship of the Trinity, from all eternity, owning all things, controlling all things, creating all things, sovereign ruler of the skies. Yet, for our sake, for your sake, He became poor. He became poor. He became poor. Had no place to lay His head. Born in a stable, uh, in, in an inn. Born in a feeding trough of a cow. Borrowed donkey, buried in a borrowed tomb. He was poor. He was poor. So that you, by His poverty, might become rich. Rich in the spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Philippians 2, 5-11 Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted Him. And bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He humbled Himself. Took the form of a slave. Was crushed. Forgotten. But then raised to glory. To be the most influential man who has ever crossed the horizon of this world. Friends, that's the good news for sinners. That we have a great Savior who forgives us of our sins. And we know this through the true biblical gospel which Paul is defending in this book of Galatians. Jesus' gospel is what Paul knew. Christ died and rose for me and you. He came to save Make all things new. By grace through faith alone, it's true. So come and trust the God-man Jew. You will love the poor and self-subdue. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this good news, the Gospel of Jesus. We thank You, Lord, that Paul labored to protect this Gospel. Uh, Lord, that, the, uh, uh, that all the apostles agreed, Lord, on what the Gospel is as we see in this text. We praise You that they had partnership and fellowship together, that they were sent out to reach the circumcised and uncircumcised, that they went out remembering the poor and the destitute and the needy and the hungry. And Father, we ask that you would help us to obey what Paul said someone else, somewhere else, that we would imitate him as he imitates Christ. And so God, help us to hold fast to the truth of the pure gospel. Help us to really believe it. And Lord, where we're looking for acceptance in other ways, in other places, Father, forgive us and free us. And Lord, we pray we would go forth with this message through the power of the Holy Spirit and proclaim these truths. God, we pray we would see sinners saved. We ask, oh God, you would help us to remember the poor rightly and love them with wisdom and care. And so God, be with us and help us and use us to be ministers of the true gospel, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.